One of my favorite products right now is Purpose by Sovereignty. I've been using it almost every single day. It's been in my purse. It's in my car. Like I'm that obsessed with it. So Purpose is a CBG plus fermented and adaptogenic herbs blend. I mean, come on, right? Purpose's formula for daytime energy was specifically formulated to boost nitric oxide, you guys, which enhances sex drive. This formula includes seven plant-based ingredients like green tea extract, turmeric, blueberry, which has all been clinically proven to increase nitric oxide by, get this, 230%. Holy smokes. This leads to more arousal, better sex, and using all natural ingredients, which basically means, you guys, no Viagra prescription needed. Yes, let me repeat that. All natural ingredient ingredients, no Viagra prescription needed. All right. Another one of the reasons why I love Sovereignty so much is that these guys are not afraid to get creative. You know we're all about that here at True Sex and Wild Love. So in an extremely novel offer for my podcast listeners, they are doing something called your favorite money back guaranteed. So for True Sex and Wild Love listeners, you guys, my favorite people in the world, if you purchase the product and do not like it, not only will you get your money back, that's right, not only will you get your money back if you don't like it, but Sovereignty will buy you your favorite supplement instead. I mean, I've never even heard of this before. So this is why I'm telling you. They're extremely novel. They're crazy over there and we love them for it. So what I want you to do is pause this podcast. Yes, pause this podcast and go to sovereignty.co slash T-S-W-L immediately, immediately right now. So one more time, that's go to sovereignty, S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y.co slash T-S-W-L. You will not regret it. I promise you guys will love it as much as I do. Enjoy. All right. From better sex to stress relief to healing wounds to all of these things, CBD is where it's at, you guys. Some of you guys have already heard me talk about CBD, but this one is my favorite. It's called My Daily Choice CBD, and they have tinctures and topicals and face masks and bath bombs and gummies, basically whatever and however you want to ingest CBD in a really delicious way, they got you. So I want you guys to check them out. I use this absolutely every night before I go to sleep and I travel with it everywhere I go. I am that addicted to CBD. I actually thought that CBD was a joke, to be honest, for a while. And then I started using it on a daily basis and it really does make a difference in how I can relax at the end of the day and how I can sleep. Also, funny story, I burnt my leg recently, so I've been putting my daily choice CBD on my leg, and the inflammation is going way down. So thank you, guys. This is a perfect partnership at the perfect time. And of course, the True Sex and Wild Love listeners, you guys get a special offer. So hell yes, it's a 60-day money-back guarantee. So that's right, 60-day money-back guarantee on any of the products. So head over to bitbit.ly slash T-S-W-L-M-D-C. That's True Sex, Wild Love, My Daily Choice. So one more time, I know it's a mouthful, bit.ly slash T-S-W-L-M-D-C and you get a 60-day risk-free money-back guarantee. Mm, Enjoy, y'all. It's the episode and the moment that everyone, including myself, even though I was there, has been waiting for. Oh boy. It's our big squirting episode, right? Where Kenneth Clay teaches me to squirt. And I have to say, as somebody who has studied female sexuality full time for six years, I did not think there was anything new for me to learn, but there is, there was, and I did. Oh, you certainly did. I was there. You guys, I can vouch for her that she certainly learned how to squirt. And Kenneth tells you how. And you get to, you are basically going to feel like you are in the room with us as this was going on. Yeah, it's a tutorial. And, you know, I used to think that squirting was like a party trick or, you know, a thing in porn, which sometimes it's really misrepresented there. And that it was, super performative. And that's really not what this is about. If you're a woman who's not interested in squirting, no problem, but you might want to learn about what it is. And it's really more about how awesome female sexuality is. So 
All I can say is wear your raincoat and we have video. Yes. So go behind closed doors with Wednesday and I for the epic Kenneth Play squirting episode. You are going to subscribe at truesexwildlove.supercast.tech. Enjoy, guys. All right, guys. Here we are. Another Thursday. Another Thursday, another episode of True Sex and Wild Love. And Whitney, I feel like we're really breaking it out today because our guest is Carmen Rita Wong, who basically is a Renaissance woman. She has been a financial advisor. She wrote a series of novels um, based on amazing, mostly Latina characters living their successful lives, including messy love lives. Um, She Mm -hmm. has an amazing podcast called The Carmen Show, which is about money and love and no apologies. And she's really active with Planned Parenthood and this storytelling collective called The Moth. We have so much to talk to her about today. I know. Welcome, Carmen. I'm so excited to dive into so many areas of your life because I know it's going to help me personally and everyone that's listening. Oh, lady, thank you so much for having me. I'm on with Whitney and Wednesday. This is wonderful. Well, we're really glad to hear you. And one thing occurs to me right off the bat, you were, Hmm. were you the first Latina to have, to host a finance show on um, mainstream TV? Yes. Well, that, yeah. That, first of all, I just want to yeah. put a pin in that. That's amazing yeah. that you did that. Thank you, my dear. And actually, I came from journalism, so I was not a financial advisor official, meaning like in the in the clinical sense. Um, but I did give financial advice for almost twenty years. Oh yeah, Whitney, I forgot. She's also a journalist. It's never. It's never <laughs> ending. All. You're right. She's a Renaissance woman. It's like, what doesn't Listen, she do? Life is short. Life is short. So you know, you just do everything that you can do. If you tell me yeah. that you, if you tell me that you know how to juggle, I'm ending this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but I do know how to double dutch. So get your get your jump ropes. Ooh, I actually think idea. that might be harder than juggling. Yeah, double dash, I think, is harder than juggling. I mean, what do I really know? It's higher intensity. (laughs) But but knowing Carmen, she probably secretly won a double dutch contest, and she's, like, not even telling us because she doesn't want us to feel bad. Carmen, I have a question for you about finance. Finance. Money. Yes. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Everybody Mm -hmm. I know has been impacted from some people really who work in finance saying, you know what, I've been wiped out. I don't know what the future of my career in finance is to just people that I know um, who have other kind of careers, who do work for hire, who are freelancers. Everybody's facing so much financial uncertainty right now. And I was wondering if you have some words for us about this, you know, what can we be doing to feel less financially freaked out right now? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, uh, I've given advice and lived through several uh, recessions. This one is even more scary, of course, right? Um, Because we've gotten, you know, millions of people out of work. Millions. Um, It's affected my family, my friends, same with probably everybody listening. There are very few people that can can get away with not being affected by this. Um, here's what I'll say, and I'll do it in two parts. And the first thing I'll say is what I said during the recession in 2008 when I was hosting my show every day, d- while we watched everything fall apart. Um, and it's that we do need some sense of, everybody needs some sense of calm. I wish mm. I had great news for you. I always wish, you know, when we we watch, you know, things go down and jobs get lost and, you know, we can't even talk about the markets because the market is not the economy. The market is not people's jobs, right? Right. Um, We're talking about your livelihood as opposed to just the market. It's so difficult. Um, 
I've been there. I've been, you know, five months pregnant with $500 in the bank and a mortgage due. Um, you know, that he's, and owning my own business and running my own business after being laid off. So I've been there and it shaped me in a tremendous way. I'll say this is that really not to beat yourself up so much for something that can be out of your control. So something that helps Mm -hmm. is to take control of what you can, which is the idea of, can you pivot? Can you um, do other things in the meantime? What can you do Mm -hmm. not make yourself just to give yourself some feeling of control because the insidiousness of when the economy crashes, whether it's the stock market or jobs, is that it just feels like you're not able to stop. And for many many of us, you can't. Right. So you just have little things that you can to make some changes. And whether that's, of course, spending, which, you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody's adjusted their spending already um, to not, you know, not putting money in retirement right now, even though, you know, things in investing is looking great, more so because you need to pay bills, whatever it is, really look at it and don't be afraid to look at it. Because I have found a lot of people just get so scared that they don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, money money is is scary, right? Because it's it kind of plays a role in every aspect of your life. And so when we're in this pandemic and we can't go to work and we don't have that constant income coming in, it's really scary. Our whole foundation is is off. And so what I'm kind of hearing you say, Carmen, is like, look at the things that you can do. So cut back on spending, maybe don't put money into retirement. What about should people be looking at other ways to make money, like investing if they have money already or trying new ways to make money at home kind of off of the skills that they have? Or do we kind of just wait it out by saving? What's Where does your mind go when you think of this? Well, it's, it's hard to save with the money that's not coming in. Um, it's the only savings you can do is cutting your spending, right? Mm-hmm. Or investing where your money goes um, monthly. Like, uh, you know, I mean, like investing into your retirement, that sort of thing. I, I think that right now for folks who are really looking and saying, you know what, my emergency fund is gone. I need to pay, you know, rent or my mortgage. You know, it's an intense time of where is this money going to come from? The mindset of always, okay, what's worst case scenario is, first of all, understand that you will most likely be able to dig yourself out. The industries that have been the most affected though, this is going to be a long-term thing, right? If we're talking, of course, the media business, which, you know, I've been a part of for many years, or we're talking, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, hospitality or whatever it is, if you see your industry disappearing for the next couple of years, it is time to make those very difficult decisions. And the thing is, I come at finance and money uh, through psychology. So I was a professor of behavioral economics, um, industry professor on faculty. And what I do is I come at this idea of why and how do we make the decisions we do about money and how does it affect our life and our livelihood? And one of the biggest things, and this is why this money is, is, and was a passion of mine for many years is it really does change your life and determine your life. Um, so you need to pay attention to it, but I think This is going to be a very hard time where people are going to have to make very hard decisions, whether it's moving back in with parents, whether it's families moving in together, whether it's moving cities. This is a time of incredibly difficult decisions. And just know this, you are not alone. You are not Mm -hmm. alone. If you have your health, which right now we all know is a precarious thing, if you have your health, that is absolutely and the and your loved ones, it's absolutely the best That's thing. That's paramount, can. right? That is the most important thing. And then, you know, I love this. You actually just gave people some great ideas um, that I never would have thought of. This is so Carmen Rita Wong that you said <laughs> some people are moving back in with their parents. I might that might have occurred to me, but then you said some people are moving in together. Not just people getting roommates, but like. Some families are sort of compounding or potting now, I have read Mm -hmm. about, um, to kind of pool resources. Um, A lot of people are saying they can't afford childcare anymore and they're um, 
coming up with arrangements, moving closer maybe to extended family. And Mm -hmm. then this idea that you suggested, which might sound really radical, of moving to a less expensive place. I mean, I live in New York City and the Hamptons. I live in probably, other than San Francisco, Carmen, am I living in the two most expensive places in the United States? (laughs) I live in Hawaii. I'm in Manhattan as well. So yeah, of course, it is very, very expensive. Um, So like when when you're living in a super expensive metropole, another thing that you might have control over is, can I move? Is there a place where not only it would be less expensive for me, but I could have a kind of slower life? That would be an upside where I have friends already. These are great suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm potting with um, my sister-in-law because um, I lost my brother actually right before COVID uh, broke. Oh, kind of I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Lynn. Um, it was not. It was. It was cancer, but it was right before, literally the week before everything got shut down. So you know, my heart goes out to all the people who have lost family members and friends with COVID. Um, you know, this. So what I did is with uh-huh. my brother family in Maryland is we've created our pod because it's just myself. I'm a single parent with my now 13 year old daughter in Manhattan. Your adorable and daughter. It's a, oh my, well, uh, 13, it's, <laughs> it's getting rough, but as you know, it gets a little rough, but, but she, she and I being kind of cooped up and we really, because we had spent a lot of time in the hospital with my brother, we really isolated for a long time. It's not, it's not healthy for her. Like she needs her cousins. So my brother's daughters are 16 year old twins. They just turned 16. And so we go, we drive, I drive back and forth to Maryland this whole summer to stay with them, to help in the house, to, to, you know, give each other solace and support and professional help too, because we're all in, you know, together trying to work as well as to manage the kids. And, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. But you know, yeah, and I think to pod with it sounds know who to pod with, know who to pod with. But what I want to say about what you're doing is it sounds really purposeful, it matters mm-hmm. what you're doing, matters. You're helping your family, you're helping your daughter, you're helping uh, your daughter's cousins, and and it sounds like um, there's a really great point to what you're doing. I don't know that all of us could have said before COVID that our lives were very purposeful. Um, Mm. But I love that you made an adjustment that is probably deeply challenging, but so meaningful to your family. Yeah. And I think what's interesting too, a lot when it comes to COVID and, and if you're moving out or you're moving in with your parents or you're potting or is, I think for a lot of us, there's a ego that's, you know, very tied up in what we have and where we live and who we're with. And COVID is kind of breaking that down a little bit. And and as you guys said, this is now the time to find what your purpose is and like living life purposefully and also being like, okay, well, I know my ego is taking a hit here because I have to move back in with my family. I have to move back in with my parents or I have to, you know, I have to really watch what I'm spending. Um, and I, I know it's incredibly challenging, but it also can be such a blessing. Yeah. I mean, you know, take it for someone who's lost family. Like you begin, you understand now, like ego has no place when you're talking about the ability to spend time with family, to Mm -hmm. be together during what is going to be, is incredibly challenging time for millions of people. So I, I see it like that's the big plus. And I think one of the things that the the, the virus and the, you know, the, the lethalness of it, and also too, with the Black Lives Matter movement is that we all have to understand mm-hmm. that we're distilling down what our values are. We all have to distill what are, mm-hmm. what are our true values? What is our value system? Where does what our do care, care about, right? Yeah. What really matters what, to us? What gives us a yeah. sense of meaning? Exactly. And digging so the idea in of that. impressing somebody or like, um, oh, what are the neighbors going to think of that? Oh my God, please. 
Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's been a real shift there for a while. Okay, you guys, you want to know what I started doing, which Whitney will be really shocked because I'm not a person who does this. And Carmen will be shocked because she knows that we live in New York City where our kitchens are really small. I have started cooking a lot. Like, wow, how's that going? <laughs> it's, it's, you know what? It is a task. So here's the deal. I'm saving money when I do it, right? We used to order in a lot. We used to do takeout and go out a lot. My husband's a really good cook. Um, But we started, I was like, you know, we could save money if we just started cooking at home more. And eventually I got interested in it. And it is an activity that I'm saving money. Um, I'm putting something in front of people that is tangible that I have made, right? Many times they like it. Sometimes they don't. But back to this idea of purpose, it's like I have built something into my day every day where I have a feeling of purpose. And if I didn't do it, I don't know how I would get through. I don't know how I would get through you know, talking to my black girlfriends who are going through so much dealing with systemic racism and just being a listening ear. I don't know how I would go through, um, you know, just trying to support the people in my community and my friendship network. If I didn't have a sense of purpose, that would be much harder. Plus I'm saving money. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind yeah. Of what have you been making? Anything, anything notable? Well, are you um Car- Carmen, I've been doing a lot of Latin foodways. Like oh. a lot of mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been getting really into yuca and yautia. And um What's yautia? Tell her Carmen. I don't know what that is. You know what yuca <laughs> is? Yeah. Of course. Yuca, yeah. Yuca cassava. We yeah. all do it. Depends on the region you're from. So I, my mother's from Dominican. So that's uh, though I lived in in Mexico City as well. So that's the pretty much the breadth of my knowledge, unless unless I hit up the restaurants in Queens, but <laughs> <laughs> the Colombian Ecuadorian restaurants, which I love, which I miss all of that food. By the way, I miss yeah. all of it so much. Yeah, it's a real loss. I don't know. I'm yeah. just going to recommend to people out there if you're looking for something, if you're like. My days are too busy, but they don't feel productive. I don't know. Cooking might be something you can embrace. And I'm doing really simple cooking, I have to say. So I don't want to make it too complicated. But okay, talk about pivots. Carmen, huh? you're, you're spending all this time with your family. And at the same time, you are working on a memoir about family secrets. First, tell us about your series of novels, Never Too Much. And then tell us about this new project. Yeah. So I started with the novels, you know, they say that novels, of course, um, and you know, this, my dear Wednesday, um, I do have, you know, an anchor in real life. So I wrote a novel series. It's never too real, never too much. Um, I put a hold on number three to work on the memoir, but the novel series was basically based off of my life and my friends' lives, all Latina crew, all different races and backgrounds. Um, And each Latina took on a storyline that had something to do with my life. One of those storylines is finding out who my real father is. And here's the twist. I thought I knew. um, My mother passed away 16 years ago and she kept it from me until right before she passed. Mm. And she told me that my stepfather was my biological father. But here's where it gets more funky. Uh, a year ago, about a year and a half ago, we all in the family, um, both sets. So, you know, there was her first husband and her second husband. I'm the Wong, like with my brothers, we're from the first marriage. And then I have four younger sisters from the second marriage. Got it. Um, so we came together and we took 23 and me. Uh oh, DNA okay. testing strikes again. We prepared yeah. for when that happens because we opened and connected ourselves live on FaceTime together. Holy and it was during the holidays too. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been more crazy. <laughs> we were all on camera on our iPads, you know. And and all of a sudden we're like, okay, let's all connect. And then <laughs> and all in big, big print, it says 
I am half sister to everyone. Holy wow. shit. Wow. Yeah. Wait, what was your mom? Your mom had passed away. So it was you yeah. and all your siblings on the call, and you thought that you and your sister were both. Right. So for 31 years, I was raised um, a Wong, as we say, China Latina, right? China Latina. China Latina. And that was, you know, my brother and I were very close. We were the closest in age. We both were, um, you know, born in Harlem. Then we, when my mother divorced, remarried to New Hampshire, where she had my four sisters. And talk about a culture shock, New Hampshire. Oh, back hell. in the days. <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. It was not fun for my brother and I. Um, but my Whoa. sisters were born there. And then when I was 31, my mother was, was dying. This, this secret came out. And I, I would have to say, you know, knowing my mother and all the kind of secrets in the way I think sometimes the old school families deal with women as well, yeah. um, I wasn't super, super surprised. But then this happened and we were all surprised, completely shocked, including Wait. my stepfather who had Sorry. thought he was my father. Carmen, yeah. the first secret that your mom told you mm. be- when she before she passed away, was mm. what? Um, that my stepfather, her second husband, right. was my father. Thank that, you. That Papa Wong was not. However, however, <laughs> that also was not true. That is not true. Yep. And we're there. We are sitting there, all on Facetiming together, and there's nothing like a DNA test to say. I mean, come on. I mean, it's like it was. It was. It was I bad, mean, um, but funny, but bad. You know, the kids. Merry were Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter and my nieces were on the call, and I'm sitting there, like with my head in my hands, just going. Oh, and then my nieces and my daughter were just going. Oh. Snap! You know they were just thought this was happening to this family. They thought it was like they they were like, oh my god, this is like a telenovela right here. Sure, um, telenovela. It is like (laughs) the ultimate episode of like Betty La Feya or like Carmen La Bella. It is so crazy. Wait, so all I got to do come back to life, you know, disappear, or maybe like an evil twin shows up. I don't know. Maybe I have an evil twin. Maybe something else. (laughs) Maybe there will be one more twist. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to, was, is your uh, stepfather who your mother said was your father? Is he still with us? And was he on this call? Was he on this call? No. Because that could have been really. And what I'll tell you this, I did, it took me months to call him and tell him what happened or, you know, what the, what I found out. Because yeah, I can imagine. Funny enough, uh, I was concerned about his feelings. You know, he was also deceived, right? But instead, I was the one who ended up breaking down because I uh, realized in that call, I had orphaned myself. Uh, yeah. So it was really difficult, but I, but I have to say, he gave me a very good hint. So I spent some time going to Miami to visit family with my brother before he passed, going to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic to visit my godmother. I did some digging. Right. I was coming up with all sorts of stories and denials and, and nothing was sticking. But my stepfather said to me, huh, there was a Cuban doctor at the clinic she worked at. I used to pick her up at this clinic. There was this Cuban doctor. I was always, I didn't like him. And guess where my DNA says the rest of me comes from? Cuba. Yeah, (laughs) from Havana. So I am currently waiting for the Library of the American Medical Association to open up because I hired genealogists to help me research. And they will have the records of the doctors who worked in the clinic at that in that year and where they went to medical school. So we're hoping for the Havana connection and finding that there. But it it is quite the mystery and quite the process. It's such an amazing reveal and the mystery lives on. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's like a it's 
truly a story that you want to watch to see what happens. Yeah. So I I, I, want to watch too, Whitney. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Somebody tell me what happens. I think we all (laughs) want to watch. I, you know, I just want to underscore one thing, which is, um, it's like not everybody who goes from journalism to finance journalism, to being a television journalist, to being on the board of Planned Parenthood and the board of The Moth, and then writes some novels and now is writing a memoir. It's Hmm. your whole family drama and like, who are you actually related to? (laughs) To me, Mm -hmm. the fact that you are so multifaceted as a thinker and a person, um, is somehow linked in a really cool way to this drama and mystery of, you know, figuring out your genetic heritage. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I guess, right. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you told not, me that you were going to well, go to think, medical school I, now. <laughs> well, I was pre-med, by the way. I was pre-med, just so you know. Um, I think that you're, yeah, I think that there's a lot of a lot of layers and it kind of started with the fact that I was born into and raised between a Dominican community which is Afro-Latino, right? right. These are black Latinos from Harlem and Chinese American through Chinatown. And imagine you're born into that, right? So There's that big difference. Then we get up and move to New Hampshire, where we're the only people of color in the radius that I could see. Oh my God, like the land of live free or die, right? That's crazy. And it's a completely different world. I think that I've always just been an overly curious person um, because of all the exposure and also probably just genetically, I'm a big pain in the butt. And I always want to know, you know, how everything works and everything <laughs> goes and I got to do all this stuff. But I think, all, but having a very um, unconventional childhood and upbringing was a huge plus. It was difficult, but it was a huge plus in terms of me seeing kind of no boundaries as to what I, I could do. Um so I appreciate that. And also yeah. having a very strong mother. Oh, my God. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about her because she's going to be so important in this memoir, but I feel like she's already important in your work, your work to be to support other women in becoming financially independent, your work in writing your series of novels, which I just want to say, people, you have to, these are the best summer reads. The Thank ser- you, darling. Yeah, they are so good. I love the characters. They're so strong and so imperfect and they mess up and they support each other. It's just a great series of novels. But I feel like your mom informed that as well. And now she's going to be big. We're going to get to know her in the memoir. Tell us, can you give us a little, little... I will, I will. And I think it's very important to what you guys talk about together. Um, But I'll first say the novels are written under just Carmen Rita. Um, and it's never too real. So just so you know that, but yes, my mother, so talk about women and sexuality and stuff a lot. And this is something that it's very important to me when I look back at my mother's life and I see what happened in terms of being an immigrant to this country, um, in the fifties, when she was only 15 years old, she was brought here. Um, and married off the Dominican Republic. Yeah. From, from born in Santiago, grew up in San Domingo. Thank you. And she, you know, was married off. She's the oldest of the three siblings to Chinese American gangster, um, AKA big businessman by her father Mm. so that they could start the chain migration of the family. My mother having sitting here and going, so Guadalupe had six children from three different men. And you can say, Oh, stereotype, stereotype, stereotype. I would say this, what she did was, of course, unfortunately centered around the patriarchy of this country, of course. Mm-hmm. But what she did was is she used what she had. She was not allowed to make any decisions in her family. Her father, my grandfather, was quite a brutal dictator of his own. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of 
made her boyfriends along the way. She was married to, to you know, to this just Chinese man, to Papi Wong. She was unhappy. He was pretty awful. And she started, you know, seeing other people and f- trying to find a way out of her situation mm-hmm. by okay. men through her sexuality, with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't condemn it. I don't condone it either, but I don't condemn it. I look at it and I look at her and I see a very smart, which she was, by the way, really incredibly smart person, but stymied by being a brown woman with very, you know, her education stopped at mm-hmm. 15. Her GD right. eventually. But she did what she could do to get out and get a better situation for herself and her children. You know, good for her. Yeah, good for her. In in anthropology, there's a term for that. That when women have serial or simultaneous partnerships like that, it's some. It's often a bridging strategy, right? So it's like this mm-hmm. social and sexual strategy that women can use to make a better life for themselves. Uh, to have, I mean, to have fun, to have connection that's sustaining sometimes to get resources, um, sometimes to have support, um, for themselves emotionally and their children. So like whenever people get judgmental about female sexual strategies and social strategies, I just try to teach them the sociological terms so that people understand like these are, these are old traditions and they existed for a reason. And like you said, in that ecology, that was a pretty smart strategy that she used. Yeah. And then she ended up, you know, passing me off as, because she was simultaneously dating my stepfather, she passed me off as his child. I'm assuming that the relationship with the Cuban doctor didn't work. But my stepfather was in graduate school. He was in graduate school at Columbia University for economics. And he was an Italian-American, a white man from, from Michigan, and, you know, worked, worked in a bank. And there she was kind of finding a way to escape her family and her oppressive father and to climb the economic ladder of the, of, you know, American culture in some way. It, she paid a deep price when we moved to New Hampshire. Um, she was forced to give up her language, her culture so much. Thankfully, we, were, you know, we drove down here a lot, um, back to the city to, to see our family. But it was a big price to pay, but she was just determined to give her kids and herself uh, a different life, a more free life. I do believe it's a, a bit of that mythology of the American dream is a myth, but I do think that that's what she was going for. And I think she used what she could. And so I don't begrudge her in the slightest. I think she was smart as hell, but she paid a, she paid a really big price because in the end, of course, she was not happy. I mean, she made those trade-offs, right? Like Whitney and I talk about this sometimes, like the life history trade-off that women Mm -hmm. make. Like, um, yeah, being doing what you can do to get yourself where you want to be. Whitney, do you did you ever discover any big, deep family secrets? I didn't. No, maybe they're still there, but I didn't. <laughs> well, I did twenty. I haven't gotten my dad twenty three and me yet, though. So I mean, anything we'll see. can happen. see what comes out. You anything know, can happen. Listen, I mean, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, <laughs> not, nothing would surprise me now that I studied female sexuality and sexuality for so long. Nothing would surprise me. But I have to say, when my grandfather died, we had a big surprise. Mm, which was really all, yeah yeah all his effects were in on a table right um photos of him when he was a child um on the farm that he grew up on um his mom was native and um indigenous native american and um photos of her and um you know photos of him as a young man growing up and mm. then there was a marriage certificate and a certificate of divorce. And mm. I looked at it and I was like, what? Like, one of my parents, I guess, maybe my father said to me, oh, yes. Grandpa was married and divorced before he married Nana. And 
you know, in the grand scheme of things in our lives today, like Whitney, if we discovered, I mean, probably our parents, there was not so much pressure to keep it secret. But, you know, it was like a hugely stigmatized thing that he had been married and divorced. And um, I guess it was stigmatizing for my grandmother too, right? Like that she wasn't the first wife. But more than anything, to me, it was just a shock. It's like, really? Like you couldn't tell us that? You <laughs> he didn't have <laughs> he didn't have kids with this woman. But like he had had a murder. And I realized, you know, I have to stop just presuming that I know what my family history is. I don't know. I don't know all the drama in there. Now Carmen's making right. me want to really dig a lot deeper. Well, I mean, it could be really know. interesting. Yeah. And even if you think you know and you ask the questions, there's still so many stories. Everybody makes up stories. They're hiding so things. They're making themselves look good. or Which is why I'm a, I, I may be a little more uh, too transparent. I don't know. I'm very transparent. Like with my, my daughter and with my family, I'm the one who calls stuff out because I feel that I, as I've felt myself that, you know, secrets can be painful, Mm -hmm. you know, and selfish. How has your family taken it that you are undertaking this excavation and, I mean, you talked about the phone call, the FaceTime call. Yeah. I can only imagine being there and like, I need a kinship chart to keep up. Mm-hmm. But the, really, then I'm sure that there were reverberations and ripples from that sense. I mean, have some people in your family said, look, I wish you wouldn't do that. Are they curious? Is it both? Um, well, no one would dare say that to me. And if any of them are listening, (laughs) you know why? Because I am an overbearing oldest child. I'm the oldest of five girls. You know, I was the caretaker, the second mommy, that sort of thing. And my brother and I, our relationship was, was very different. He was my older brother and my big bro. I think the only request that I've had, I think, I think there's definitely nerves. Um, there's going to be some nerves around. People are going to be anxious. Um, I mm-hmm. definitely, one of the things I don't do is I don't look to settle scores. I don't look to, I, I'm very clear that this is my experience and mine alone. It's not the experience of my siblings. Um, but with my brother, when I first found out that Poppy Wong was not my father, my brother did pull me aside when I told him and said, please don't tell him, please don't tell him that, you know, because mm-hmm. he doesn't have any family, very few friends, you know, kind of, you know, that type of guy. And my brother felt like it would just be too difficult. So I've honored my brother's request. And because when you're dealing with someone who's much, much older, Mm -hmm. it would be selfish of me. What would I get Mm -hmm. out of it? Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's not keeping it secret from him. It's just kind of assuming that he knows what he wants to know. Right. Um, so I just, that I, I, I'll keep my promise to my brother. That's you know? nice. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we is have he still, to he, Yeah. Is he still living? Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I assume he doesn't listen to you, to your interviews. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> no. how is this going to go over? <laughs> well, fortunately his use of technology is very limited. So yeah, no, he's 88 years old and he, he cannot stand their computers or anything like that. So yeah, no. Um, I think, you know, with writing memoir, with writing anything, there's, there's going to be, you know, like when I did my moth story. So my moth yeah. story was my kind of coming out. Um, uh, I sit on the board, I serve on the board of the moth. Um, but also I did, I was a storyteller and you stand up there for, for 10 minutes and no notes and you tell compelling stories. And it, it was an incredible experience, incredibly difficult, but it was the first time I kind of came out with a very personal story. I mean, this is going to be my fifth book and I've had advice columns and all the magazines. I've, I've written hundreds of thousands, millions of words, done but I feel that this is me, me doing me, you know, mm, me okay. revealing something of myself. So it was, it was kind of scary, but I'm so glad I did it. And the response was amazing. I got emails from people 
who've dis- who've discovered the same. I got emails from a step parent who said, "Thank you for recognizing the importance of step parents." Oh, uh, so big. I got yeah, I got emails from from a professional from a ba- a big banker who was like, "Yeah, so I found out who my real dad was." You know, just boy, incredible. Yeah, boy, that was a doozy. Um, so I think there's a lot of family secrets. Here's a question I have for you, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you because anthropologically speaking, so one of the quips that I have in my moth story is like, you know, with the advent of DNA testing, it's almost like it's the end of family secrets. If you can just go to the grocery, you know, the, 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 the CVS or whatever, you go to the pharmacy and just pick it, pick up a test and spit in it. And next thing you know, like, is that going to be the case that, that women aren't going to be able to like hide these sort of things anymore? I mean, I'm sure it's tied to income and stuff, but it just seems like those kind of stories are not going to be able to happen. Oh, I was just, you know, when you said that, I was just thinking of, do you remember that Maury Povich show where they would do these mm-hmm. live DNA tests and it would all be about how yep. deceptive and horrible women are? No, women are just using the social and sexual strategies available to them. And um, that's mm-hmm. such a compelling question, you know, about how will it impact the way um, women are able to pursue an autonomous sex life, right? If, if there's going to be all this DNA testing, but here's what I think. I think that female sexuality will out and we've always used our sexuality as a, a social strategy in certain ways. And I think it's just going to shift like it always has, right? Like, there will be um, this new way to sort of check in on women and to sort of check women's sexual autonomy. And then as has always happened in human evolution, you know, human evolution is part natural selection. All evolution is part natural selection and part sexual selection. And so I think the whole truth of sexual selection is it's like among heterosexuals, it's like male strategy to control women. And then there's a female counter strategy to evade control. Right. So like, for example, and it happens in all species. So like in ducks, like people like to talk about this example, like mallards, like mallards, female mallards have these really elaborate, like labyrinth vaginas that are super curvy. Right. And so, yep. Yes. And so male mallards evolved these corkscrew shaped penises so that they could essentially have sex with these female mallards against their will. That was the male counter strategy Mm. to the female. So the female autonomy was, I have a very complex vagina. It's got all these curves and you can't force me to have sex with you. So the male counter strategy, the male evolves a corkscrew shaped penis and says, yes, I can. Okay. Along Mm. comes of another, a new female counter strategy where the female evolves the ability to shut down corridors within that super complex vagina and decide herself which sperm gets to pass through and which sperm just gets trapped inside her complex um, vagina. And that's so cool. Yes, it's so cool. Evolution is so, sexual selection is so cool. And it's always the sperm of the male that she chose to mate with, not the one who coerced her and forced her to have sex. Oh, wow. So that's sexual selection. That's That's sexual selection. Yeah, that's sexual selection in a nutshell. It's all, it's, it's male strategy to control and coerce females to control their reproduction and female counter strategy and male counter strategy and female counter strategy. That's what it is. And I just feel like this DNA testing is a new uh, counter strategy, like, and that now women, (laughs) if, if evolution is any lesson, women will be developing a counter strategy around DNA testing. I don't know what it's going to be. Evolution knows. Not having (laughs) babies. Yeah. Maybe being like, you know what? That's irrelevant. Paternity. That's irrelevant. Yeah. Where are we going? I love that your memoir is making us ask these crazy questions because they're not. I think it's so good. good. They need to be asked. 
And yes. Whitney, like, I, mean, the- I, I think, yeah, we're surprised. I'm surprised, or maybe I shouldn't be, just how pervasive it actually is. But, you know, you know you're, I think you're I saw at, some yeah. data that, that maybe it was almost 20% of women were passing off someone else's yeah, child. Yeah, there are different estimates. Yeah, and I've always hated that idea that, you know, that this vilifies the women for some reason. Like, we're, we're not in it. We don't know. You know, your mom kind of reminds me of a himbo woman, the nomadic pastoralists who live in northern Namibia. <laughs> okay. They have the highest, yeah. Okay. So they have the highest rate of extra pair paternity in the world. And do you know why? One in three yeah. babies born to a married himbo woman. It's the baby's not from her husband. One in three married himbo mm. women having a baby. That baby is not from her husband. And nobody cares and nobody bats an eye, which is sort of the opposite situation of your mom. But, you know, it shows just like worldwide, this is a strategy that women have used. And Carmen, I know we have to let you go, but I love that your book asks this fundamental question that all your work leads to, which is like, who am I? I mean, I don't even think you're trying to do detective work so much about just your family, but you're trying to help us understand how we tell the stories of who we are. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that you said that. Thank you so much. Because that is really what I'm trying to do. Because as I dig in and now have some wisdom of age, you know, now I'm like, okay, so how do I define myself? How did I get here? And what story does it tell about all of us as a nation, as women, as people, period, and as a couple of generations. It's really, really interesting, but that is what I'm trying to do. So I'm excited. Um, So stay tuned. We're going to stay tuned. (laughs) We are going to buy your novels. Tell us the names of the novels again and tell people where they can find you on social media. Yes. So the novels are never too real and never too much and written under the name Carmen Rita. So and good. you can find me on social. Thank you, darling. Um, at Carmen Rita Wong on Instagram. That's my favorite place to be. Um, Twitter, I'm at Carmen Sense. Um, and, you know, I don't want to promote Facebook. I'm there too, but... I know, you know I hear you. We're not Facebook. <laughs> it's okay. We'll follow you on Instagram and Twitter. Whitney, yeah. I, I got to say, Whitney and I both have complicated relationships with our mothers. And I mm. think the thread through, like everything you've done, Carmen, like talking about money, talking about autonomy, talking about families. It's, there's a single thread going through there about helping women figure out who we are. And I just want to thank you for that. Yeah. And have freedom, right? Freedom to live the life that you really want to live outside of family and outside of the relationships that you're in. That's why when I went through your Instagram and some of the YouTube videos, I saw that this, there is the main cord or on some of them that I saw was really about, you know, having your own financial security is freedom for you. And I think that's such a really like an amazing way to look at it. Mm. Yes. And I'm a big believer in autonomy and connection. We can have both. We can be autonomous as women, but we can also be part of communities and families and then take care of other people too, as well as ourselves. But I appreciate mm-hmm. all these things you're saying because it helps me write. Keep awesome. writing. Keep writing. <laughs> yeah, keep Whitney, and I, Whitney and I need to have you on again when the memoir is written. I can't wait to read it. Thank you, Carmen. I Thank you, ladies, so much for having me. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. Well. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review. Yeah, leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.